0: Good morning. Welcome back to the Folk Craft Revival podcast. Once again, talking about uh, traditional skills and crafts and uh, things to learn and do and try and make. Uh, this week, I'm chatting with Brian from CarvingIsFun.com and the Carving Is Fun YouTube channel. We're talking about carving and whittling and uh, kind of a little bit of his experience, his thoughts, suggestions for other people interested in getting into carving, um, things like that. So yeah, looking forward to a couple projects over the next little bit. I just wrapped up, um, working on a knife sheath. Actually, I was, uh, I was just, uh, putting a finish on it this evening. Uh, spent the last couple of evenings after I put the kids down to bed, um, you know, sewing leather and things like that. It's actually been quite a while since I made a sheath and ironically enough, it was for the second knife I ever made. When was that back in 2014? Um, so I've had this knife now for eight years and never made a sheath for it, which is kind of surprising and, um, makes me wonder what I was doing all this time. I mean, I did kind of have a temporary sheath for a little while there. Um, But it's kind of shocking to not have a sheath for a knife after eight years. Anyways, that's what I've been working on this week. I hope you guys have been up to something interesting as well. Working with your hands a little, have something going on. Um, Love to hear about it. Love to see pictures something like that if you want to share. But that said, uh, this week, like I said, I was chatting with Brian. Uh, We're talking about carving and whittling. Um... It was, it was an interesting episode for me because I've always been around knives. I've had a knife since I was, uh, I think my dad gave me my first knife when I was five. Um, the vast, vast majority of the time, I have one in my pocket. I've always kind of, kind of considered whittling to be an interesting art form. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily consider it art. It's more like a, a pastime, an interesting pastime. Because the way I view whittling as... You know, that's something you did either to pass time when you needed to wait for something. Um, and that's something we're totally out of touch with in today's society is the concept of having to wait. Uh, <laughs> we're in a rush for everything. And even when we, even when we do have to sit and wait for a moment, most of the time it's just, a, you know, whip out the cell phone and look at social media or browse the Internet. Um, but more, I would say, whittling kind of went along in my mind with the whole, you know, lights out at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, you're maybe, what, sit around the fire and tell a story and whittle on something while you do that. Maybe a completely wrong view of whittling, but that's kind of always how I viewed it. Um, and I've never really tried to whittle or carve 3D objects. I told you I, I spent quite a bit of time in the, or I kind of come from a background of primitive skills and wilderness survival. So I spent plenty of time, you know, working on friction fire sets and carving out laddles and, uh, you know, random things like that. But I guess I never really considered that whittling. I don't know why. I guess I I view whittling more as an attempt to turn out a, 3d project maybe i don't know i'm kind of curious what do you what do you guys think of when you think of whittling what what is whittling um but anyways like i said i'm talking with brian about carving and whittling and uh yeah links to anything mentioned um any resources brian's youtube channel his website uh, things like that will be found over at folkcraftrevival.com forward slash thirty-eight. And with that said, let's um let's go ahead and jump into the episode. I started off uh asking Brian about what the difference between carving and whittling was and, and how he viewed himself and what he did.
1: I'm definitely a carver. Um I mean the primary difference between whittling and carving is whittling you are just using nothing but a knife. That's it. That's your only tool. Um yep. it's simple. It's straight to the point. But carving, you're going to be using a multitude of tools, whether it be gouges, chisels, um, even like uh, power carvers, which is like a a Dremel uh, kind of deal like that. So, uh, carving is the broad uh, topic, but whittling is the focus. It's like how we have other things like chip carving or relief carving, um, or even power carving in general as well. So. Those are focuses, and carving as a whole is um all encompassing,
0: okay, so whittling's kind of a discipline within carving Correct. in general, yep, okay, and
1: it to me it's the simplest of them all, so it's like most people have a knife um I have four of them on me, so <laughs> you're gonna have a knife, regardless. So, uh, and it's what the, where most people start too. Like uh, with me and scouts too, is like you start off with a knife. You just picked up a stick, probably just put a point on it. But some people start getting creative and making little designs. So, it's it's the simplest and most easily obtainable. Um, yeah. Which is primarily what the whole brand Carving is Fun is about. Because I want people to get into it. Yeah. So, start at the simplest and most basic.
0: I would also say I have a lot of experience whittling random points onto sticks, but I wouldn't say I ever really took it much beyond that. Um, I've gotten into spoon carving a little bit lately, uh, got a hook knife for Christmas last year and have a number of spoons now laying around the house. Um, but I do
1: too. It's fun. I
0: was like, when did you take the the leap from just, you know, scraping the bark off of sticks or sharpening them into a point or something like that? When do you start taking carving a little more seriously or whittling?
1: Well, even as a kid, I was—I always had the mindset of "What if? Can I?" And you yep. know, just like I made um, instead of just making a point on a stick, I made uh, what is it—the four-point traps, where it's like a, it's shaped like a number four and it's a figure into, four. Yeah, so traps like that. Um, wondered if I could make a fish hook, make a hammer, uh, make something like a fork or anything like that. It's like I forgot my fork. I made a fork. Uh, yeah. It's stuff like that. It's like I, it, a lot of it come out of necessity or pure curiosity. And that, that's really where it, it starts off. as me wondering what I can do. Or if I see something, quote unquote, hidden inside of a piece of wood, then I'll see if I can bring it out.
0: That's a more interesting side to me because, yeah, I understand also the whole, you know, I forgot a fork, I'm going to whittle one. Uh, that's very much up my alley, but I don't necessarily feel like I look at blocks of wood and I see anything within them. Um, maybe I just don't have an artistic eye.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know if I call it an artistic eye because my wife, she's a professional graphic artist. She cannot do okay. what I do. Let's see. Let's put it this way. My wife asked me one time. Um, it, it, was a, it was a mental exercise to see how you render stuff in your mind. For you, think of an apple. Um, Mm -hmm. in your mind and just like close your eyes and think about it and most people will see just like a picture of an apple like uh, someone drew an apple or something like that the typical round apple other people will start seeing a 3d image i see it as a rendered 3d thing that's spinning around in my head like i can see it moving at all angles and it's not interesting round apple it has the imperfections in it um and whatnot so it's that that's kind of how I see it, and then I can sometimes see that in the wood, but not all the time. Sometimes I have to fiddle with it, and then um, then I have to worry about the grain structure of the wood. If there's imperfections in the wood, especially with stone, um, you have to get uh, flexible and creative
0: sometimes. You say most people just imagine the like the image, the outline of an apple or something like that. I immediately jump to looking at an apple on a tree, so I see an apple yep. on the branch sitting there when you say in, envision an Apple. Yeah.
1: People will think multiple things, different backgrounds. Like for me, it's floating in space.
0: Fascinating. And you've, have you always envisioned things that way?
1: Usually. I mean, as a kid, I've always liked to build things. I was always hands-on. Yeah. Even my job now, I, it involves me fixing and building a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I, I like it. Uh, it fascinates me just having an object in my hand or envisioning something to be made. And then I go and make it like I, even I've made my own products before for other stuff and made them in 3d rendering programs. Like I knew what I wanted to make and I just put it together.
0: Hmm. I need to adjust how I'm, uh, looking at a stick next time I pick up a stick to, uh, try and figure out what's in it to carve then.
1: <laughs> Infinite possibilities.
0: Infinite possibilities. And, uh, It'll probably still end up being a point. <laughs> it's still <a> possibility. <laughs> uh, When did you pick up stone carving? No,
1: I think that was about six to eight years ago, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, it started off as soapstone. Um, again, it was one of those what ifs. Can I do this? So uh, I went and grabbed a bunch of soapstone from uh, uh, online. Like I found a place that sold cutoffs. So I got a lot of random shapes, which was perfect for me. Um, yep. Mostly because it was cheap too, and I got a bunch of different colors. Uh, and then I got a Dremel and just started making stuff. I don't know how to <laughs> really explain. I've, I've made a lot of things. Like I, I have a couple of them on uh, my gallery on my website. Just the ones I actually had had taken pictures of before I gave them away to people. Because uh, that's what ends up happening is I make something. It's like, okay, here, you have a
0: thing now. Oh, that was fun. So, yeah, now now, what do I do with it?
1: Yeah, that ends up happening that way. So, I mean, I've made a lot of stuff without a stone. And I'm always amazed, like, the colors that come out of it. Because you don't know what you're going to get. With wood, you know, it's like, okay, you got a nice color piece of wood. Sometimes you get the ones with more of a um, coloration pattern in it. But the stone, you really have no idea what you're going to get uh, for good or ill like you might have a a spot that's uh that'll just fall off and I've lost like animal legs before it's like okay it's done and then just falls off so <laughs> you have to work around it and fix that so it's uh, uh, it's 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 a fun journey making stuff out of stone
0: yeah um,
1: definitely worth trying but do it outside
0: is soapstone still primarily what you carve or is there other stones that you can work with
1: I really like soapstone because um, it's easy to work with. Um, if I want a quick, fast project with lots of color, soapstone all day long. Um, yeah. But if I want something that I can add more detail to, it looks more like, I guess you can say it looks more like glass or something like that, alabaster. It's a bit harder of a stone, but it's it also has this glass-like quality where it's, if you sand it smooth, it looks super nice. Um, somewhat translucent in some cases. And sometimes you flick the bottom of it, it has a little nice ping to it. So it's no fun. It, it's really nice. And then I just recently picked up some, uh, I think it's Minnesota Pipestone. It, it's red. I was going to do a multi-medium project with that one, with a, like a red cat mushroom or um, red mushroom top. And then I was going to do wood on the bottom for the base and the, the gills on the inside. Um, again, I want to see if I can
0: do it. I don't know if I can. But it sounds fun. fun. Yeah, it does sound fun. I've never done any stone carving. That's a whole new medium that I might have to uh, look into and play with at some point.
1: I mean, it is fun. Um, definitely, you can do it with a regular Dremel. But get the ones with the the extension, like the, uh, like the extended cords, so you don't just use the Dremel itself. Because you will burn through them, because the dust gets into the Dremel. Um, I've, I've been through about four or five of them. So it, yeah, you definitely want the extension on there because that will save you um, a lot of money and heartache. But now I, I upgraded to a, a nicer um, rotary tool instead of the Dremel okay.
0: brand. So
1: we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah, when you when you mentioned that soapstone is kind of like the really easy, just soft, easy to shape go-to stone, I noticed you use basswood in a lot of your videos. Is basswood kind of like the wood version of soapstone then?
1: The equivalent to that would probably be more like a balsa wood because it's it's more spongy, but uh, you can cut it with a duller knife. Um, yep. Basswood is like that beautiful balance between easy to carve, but yet hard enough that you can add details to, and if you drop it, you don't deform it. Kind of deal. Yep. So it holds it holds a good um, good detail in there if you add small intricate patterns, and it's got a nice even wood grain, so it's it's uniform on like pine, which sometimes moves all over the place and it's consistent. So you start when you're cutting it into one side, it's going to be the same when you're cutting it into the other side. Uh, it, it's just, it's great for learning on great for getting started on. Most people use it anyways. Um, so it's, it's the preferred one for most carvers.
0: Yeah. Do you do very much with other woods?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I like to use butternut. It's very much the same, same hardness as a basswood. But it has a really nice coloration to it. The grain structure is a little bit thicker, so it sometimes splits on me a little bit more. But uh, learn to work with the wood grain. It should be fine. Um, Some of the other ones I've been doing, primarily with the spoons, are cherry and walnut. You can get some great spoons out of those. Um, I have a giant block of, I think it's empress. Uh, Empress wood I was going to make a turtle out of. Uh, It's like half a log. I,
0: I see it i've Africa. never even heard of empress wood is that something native to florida or is that something you had to buy uh,
1: my uncle actually grabbed that somewhere he's like here you have this so he, he does a, a lot of uh woodworking not necessarily wood carving like uh so he has access to a lot of exotic woods yeah so yeah, it's one of those things like i just want to try it see what happens
0: when you say it's a uh, you know like half a log you're gonna make a turtle out of it how big is this are you thinking, like, a turtle, like, eight inches, or are you thinking, like, a turtle, like, a, like it's a big log? Like, like,
1: a gopher turtle. Gopher turtle size. I um, mean, we see them all over here in Florida anyway, so I have good references.
0: <laughs> I have a model. Uh, yep. Yeah. What, uh, kind of on that note, what is, like, the largest thing you've ever carved or swedled? Largest thing?
1: Uh, I actually don't know. I've I've made a lot of things. Some of them I would consider: is it a carving or is it just me messing around kind of deal? Um, the most complete one I made was a um, was an English bulldog. I think that one was about six inches by four inches tall. It was it was in like a little playful position. I made that one out of soapstone. That's still a pretty.
0: I mean, six inches. That's still a pretty decent sized dog. Oh,
1: yeah. it, it was pretty good. Uh, funny enough too. That one also um, soapstone is one of those things where it can it can take heat, and that carving the house caught fire. That that house was actually in, or that carving was in, and it survived. The back end was burnt <laughs> and the legs oh, cool. are broken off. But I uh, I I've, I've had some extra stone that looked the same, and I just I repaired it and and yeah. uh, he got a second life out of it, which is great.
0: Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, not many people would have that story. Their dog survived the house fire, went through it, and know, right? came out the other end. It makes sense, though, using smaller things you can hold in your hand because that's generally what I think of when I think of whittling. I think of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, traditionally, you'd be sitting around the fireplace in the winter when everything got dark at four in the afternoon and have something to keep your hands busy. Oh, yeah. So, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I think of.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's good just when those pick up and go kind of deals. Like, I I know even at work when um, I'm waiting for just at lunch or something, I'm feeling a little bit bored. I'll just pick up a stick and start making something or I'll bring wood. I have several blocks of basswood at work that I just grab if I'm I'm feeling bored so
0: need to uh, stress relief yep how, how does your work uh, handle wood shavings
1: oh uh, I do it outside we have a bench okay it's mulched area so I can I can go there
0: fits right in yeah <laughs> uh, you said um, Basswood sounds like it's very common these days, but most people aren't going to have access to basswood. What sort of characteristics would you suggest looking for in a wood? Is it mostly just look for something that's soft?
1: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, basswood is primarily located here in the United States. Other people, like especially those on my YouTube channel, saying we don't have basswood out here in Europe, they're correct. Um, uh, Plus, basswood does go by other names. I think Lindenwood up in uh, Canada um, and limewood is an equivalent in europe but basically um there is a hardness level uh a Jenka hardness test which is like how dense a piece of wood is which i think the janka hardness level for basswood is 410 pounds per square inch or something like that uh which is it's pretty relatively soft it means you can you can dent it with your fingernail and whatnot but other than that soft enough wood and fine uniform wood grain is what you kind of want to look forward to because that prevents it from uh the wood splitting in the wrong ways like if the grain structure decides to change directions on you it's yeah. not a surprise and you lose half of your carving also uh having it like a lot of people like it the, a lighter color because then you can paint it or you can stain it the way you want and it it's more of a like a blank canvas for um the final touches on it
0: that makes sense yeah
1: so Usually that's what I look for and most other people look for, from my understanding.
0: From from your experience, have you ever had any woods that you tried that just did yes. not work?
1: Um, I purposely went and tried purple heartwood, which is insanely hard and yeah. very dense. Uh, it's got a lot of silica in it, I think, too, so it, it will dull your blades very fast. Um, it, it's beautiful wood, especially when you uh, get the nice purple color out of it and you seal it. It stays that color for a while, and it, it looks absolutely gorgeous.
0: But um, it- I've got a bunch of it sitting on the shed right now for knife handles.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, I love it, but I don't love working with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite woods, I used to live in Utah. I told you I went to Utah State. Um, one of my favorite woods in that general area is Mountain Mahogany, and that had a Janka hardness of, I think, 3,900. Oh, yes. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous kind of reddish brown color and you get some mottled, uh, kind of white that goes through it sometimes really difficult to work with and really difficult to find a piece that wasn't cracked or cracking as when you cut it open, it would get a lot of drying cracks. Um, but really, really gorgeous. And I made a few things out of it just, just cause it was so pretty. Yep. I love mahogany. I I'm
1: definitely never going to work with it with what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't have the patience. <laughs> Do you end up buying your wood, mostly? Some of it. If I want something neat, I'll go to my uncle, and he just ends up having a scrap.
0: Bunch of offcuts. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And if I want wood I want uh, for a project, like I just bought some, some walnut wood, uh, which yeah. I'm going to turn into a walnut and, <laughs> and haul it out in the middle, uh, which is an, another project I have in mind. I'll, I'll go and buy it. The wood around here, like in the like out in the woods, sometimes is a hit or miss. A lot of times since Florida's so moist, they're already decomposing. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Um, I'll start going and then all of a sudden I hit this rotted spot, like right in the middle where I wanted it. Uh, then I was like, well, I guess
0: I didn't want to make a fish anyway, so let's, let's do something else. <laughs> uh, do your, your uh, projects turn into something else on a fairly regular basis?
1: Not as much as it used to. Um, yeah.
0: I, I imagine that, that happens really frequently as a beginner. Oh, it will. Um, And I, I believe
1: it's a thing of confidence yeah. and striving for perfection. That's where most people doing these things will falter. It's blunt of me saying, but you have to get over it. Um, yeah. It ain't going to happen.
0: <laughs> usually doesn't when you're working with natural materials. There's usually something that interferes with perfectionism.
1: Oh, definitely uh especially if you're using uh like wet wood where it's you just freshly cut it and you have to let it dry before you use it um it's yeah. probably going to split on you if you're if you're unlucky so all the work you put in and you got a huge crack in the middle of it now it, yeah. it happens and i know for a lot of people that's demotivational so it's uh they'll throw a lot of people off so that's why i usually yeah. have people like even on my channel i i promote using dried wood um, and I show myself using it. Uh, it's it's uh more consistent, I should say.
0: It's more approachable for a beginner. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Plus, it's easy yeah. accessible.
0: Especially when you're you know you're working small projects like you show uh, when you only need a piece that's a couple inches long. Those are real easy to come by. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's the point. No, that was the point entirely. I was trying to make the channel very beginner friendly.
0: Yeah. On that note, if you're making it very beginner-friendly, I imagine you also get a lot of feedback from from listeners. What are some of the like big mistakes that you hear frequently from people?
1: Uh, they don't use a they don't use a slice-resistant glove or any sort of protective glove. M- many, many times I hear I started and I cut my finger or I cut my hand and I need yeah. stitches. Um, that's also why you see me wearing a slice-resistant glove on the channel too, because I want people to know you can use them. They are yeah. good to have. Because um, it's sometimes even I lose track where my fingers are. Like, I, I'm really into something. Like, oh, well, now I hit my finger. Well, now I got to stop. Put a bandaid on that. Get some super glue. I'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that would happen frequently. Uh, I cut myself frequently, even I'm not trying to uh, make a 3D object out of wood. So, yep. I
1: mean, my knives are ridiculously sharp, too. So, you just barely touch yourself, you're going to get cut. It'll cut deep and clean, but if you have a slice-resistant glove, they'll prevent it from being deep, but still, you might still get cut. It's just not going to be as bad.
0: I've never worn a slice-resistant glove before. I might have to look into that and just look at what's out there, because I've never even considered that as a possibility. I I didn't really ever think about it, so...
1: I mean, most people don't. Like, it's one of those things like, okay, I just won't cut myself, and... Everyone's going to cut themselves. I know there's some people that say, yeah, my grandfather never cut themselves. I was like, great, I do.
0: I know myself. It's, Maybe it's, after you have 70 years experience, you won't be. But at this yeah, point... sure. <laughs> I mean, it's also that person's
1: very uh, uh, focused on that one talent. I like to do a lot of different things. So, my skill yeah. set is not an expertise. It's more or less I'm very proficient. And not mastered it yet so i probably won't master it Um, that's just my personality i'm like one of those jack of all trades where i do everything i want i often joke with people that um, i can do everything from cook you a nice meal to overhaul your engine so it's (laughs) it's i do a lot of
0: different stuff it's a good range to have oh yeah yeah any other like tips or things you've noticed beginners doing that we should as, yeah. as I think about whittling, if I start taking whittling more seriously and try and carve 3D objects or something like that, like any tips for someone who has background using a knife but not necessarily seriously whittling?
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, your perception is sharp is not sharp enough. Uh, that's that's the one of the other bigger faults that people have. Like when you get a new knife from a manufacturer, it's quote unquote sharp. But um It's not sharp enough. You will notice the difference after you take that blade to a finer stone and then actually hone it sharp on the strop. Uh, To me, it's night and day. Uh, You can see a cleaner cut. Like the regular manufacturer edge, you'll you'll see like a fuzzy cut going along where it's kind of dull. But if you cut with a very sharp knife, it's nice, flat, shiny, and clean. And it also just it glides right through a little bit better. You can add better details without, um, like scraping the wood. You're actually just cutting it. Yeah, so that that's one of the things that most people don't realize, especially when they get those cheap knockoff, uh, wooding uh, wood carving sets from China and whatnot. Like some of them are good. The vast majority is not.
0: Notoriously bad.
1: Notoriously bad. Very very bad. But yeah, that that one's the one that people mess up on so just like learn to sharpen and keep your your knives honed up uh, properly um, and another one I see a lot is like not all knives are made equally some have yep. harder steel than others like you can you can whittle with the Swiss Army knife um, their, their steel is consistent across all their other tools but it's still a little bit on the softer side you just have to keep it sharp but that's why the knives I use on my channel are they are specialized um they're a proper length that I'm comfortable with which is usually around an inch and three three fourths it's long enough I can get good slice off but small enough I can add details yeah when um, you get a really long blade you're you lose control of the tip uh so but also it's one of those ones where you gotta use different knives to figure out where you where you're at you what you're most comfortable with because Different knives have different. It
0: varies dimensions. from person to person. Yep,
1: yeah, and different hands. Like me, I have I have big mitts, <laughs> so if I give the knives I'm comfortable with to uh, one of my uh, friends who have really small hands, uh, she may be like, "This is uncomfortable." So yeah. I have other knives that are smaller handle, and they find that more comfortable, which I can't stand because it makes my hand cramp up. So it's 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 one of those things you have to find the right one for the right right person.
0: Two things come for that. First, can we just like ballpark, what's your, when you say you sharpen to a finer stone, when you're sharpening your knives, what sort of grit do you take them to?
1: Well, I'll, I'll go through the quick steps. Like if I get a brand new knife um, that is not sharpened properly, like it's just one like off the shelf, like uh, say my, my Leatherman. Let's see, which one do I have on right now? Yeah, this one's my skeletal, so it's the one with a 154cm steel on it, which is a nice harder steel. It does not come with a sharp blade that I like, so I'll take it to a 600 grit stone to reprofile it. Yeah. And I'll take it to a 1,000 to refine it, and then a 2,000 to further uh, pre-hone it, and then I'll take it to my leather strop, and that usually has a, between a 3,000 to 6,000 grit honing compound on there. Yeah. So, then that's where I refine it and hone it. I personally don't think you need anything more than that. If you want it sharp enough that it'll cut you when it looks at it, yeah, sure, go ahead. But, I mean, for wood carving, uh, you're going to dull it relatively quickly. So, just once you get it to that point, though, you can maintain it with a leather strop and you don't need to take it to a stone again. Um, Especially if you go and hone it every uh, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, You should be fine.
0: Is that how frequently you're touching up your blades?
1: Yes. Um, okay i I like my cut smooth once i start seeing little uh streaks of lines of uh lighter fuzziness in the in the glossy cuts then i immediately take it to my strop that's just me personally i, I my wife says I, I like sharpening my knives more than i like using them so
0: <laughs> it might seem like it if you have uh, four knives on you and you you know have to touch them up whenever you start working on them every 20 minutes or so that yeah, you could spend a decent amount of time touching up your blades.
1: Oh, yeah. And then, like, if you're going to get, like, a, a whittling knife, um, like, let's just say, like, popular beginner brands are Flexcut and Beavercraft. You can just... Those ones you can mostly maintain with just a leather shop right out of the box. Unless they're damaged. That's a completely different story. But then I take it to, like, a thousand grit stone and work my way back up. Yeah. Um, But if you get a high-quality whittling knife right from the beginning um like flex cut beaver crafter are, are good and honed right out of the box uh the ones i use on my channel are occ tools and uh helvey knives which is a handmade knife um excellent edges on them uh i never take them anything lower than my leather strap uh, it's Damn. pointless uh it, you're, you're damaging the edge when you do that so
0: no, it's good to have some recommendations for a good high quality tool
1: oh yeah and I, I have I have a bunch of them on my my website. I'm pretty sure if you do a Google search on uh, best whittling knives, I'm going to pop up there. I, I give a good rundown of the best ones that I've uh, found on the market, and I've spent a lot of money on them. I like uh, I think I calculated up, I've spent probably about five thousand dollars on carving tools in the past couple of years, just to just to see what's out there and try them out. So uh, that, that that was,
0: that was one of the idea. one of the YouTube videos I found interesting is like. Right? You pop on, and the first thing you say is, okay, so I just bought $600 worth of knives just to test them. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's an investment right there.
1: That's what I do. My wife says I have a problem, and I agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, at least you know it. Uh, yep. Uh, that, that was the other kind of half of my question that I had when you were uh, chatting a couple minutes ago. The first one was uh, what series of stones you take them to in order to sharpen them. The other one was what sort of characteristics you look for in a... I mean, because we all have knives laying around, but if I had to choose between the half a dozen knives I have sitting in my closet at the moment, what characteristics make a, a decent whittling knife?
1: That is a good question and is highly dependent upon the wood, the style of carving, and the person carving. For general whittling, I personally like a thinner blade, uh, especially if I'm using basswood. If I'm yeah. using harder wood than basswood, a thinner blade is more likely to break. Like, my Helvy knife that I use on the channel, very thin blade. It slices right through it. Um, yep. But if someone's going to be carving anything harder, I typically like going with a thicker blade because it's more rigid, and the edges actually hold up a little bit better. Then you're going to also have to figure out the style of carving. Like, if you're doing chip carving, that's a completely different knife. There's a chip carving knife for that, um, which is designed specifically to make the little intricate patterns. But if you're making... um but if you're trying to remove a lot of wood, you're going to want a longer knife, usually a curved blade, so you can part a slicing motion. But for general welding, I like a flat edge. Again, less than two inches is ideal for control. And the flat edge is also really easy to maintain. So, it just take it to the strop. You don't have to do any weird geometry when you're trying to hone it. Yeah. Um, and it hones up faster. So
0: That's something that I've also noticed, I've seen with a lot of other carvers, is yeah the fact that... Your carving knives only have one edge you have to maintain. That really does sound like it would simplify knife sharpening.
1: Oh, it does. Yeah, most yeah. when you are sharpening them a lot, it, it it's also allows for consistency on the sharpness. Is that the curved edge? You, ha- you have to make sure you are you are sweeping it as you are um, honing it or sharpening it. Yeah, and sometimes you have unevenness. Like if your hand shifts, or even if you, like you reposition your hand, and one area is going to have a smaller edge angle than our cutting edge angle than another. So, it's easier to be consistent.
0: I've always been a little surprised, too, by how small carving knives are. Because you say under two inches. And for me, when I'm looking at just like an everyday pocket knife, even if an everyday pocket knife, most of the time they're over two inches, I would say.
1: Yeah. Like, I know ones I have on me, I think this one is near four inches. Yeah, that one's, that one's about four inches. And then my whittling knife that I carry on me has a smaller blade and a larger blade for two different <coughs> purposes. One's yeah. for detail, one's for slice enough stuff. So, yeah, it's... Each is purpose-driven, and sometimes, like, uh, I know a lot of people, they just want one whittling knife, um, which is great. Uh, one and three-fourths is the general length for an all-around blade, but I like to have multiple. Uh, I have some that are inch-long, some that are three inches long. Completely different purposes. And then eventually you'll end up having more knives than necessary like myself and have a couple of drawers (laughs) and then it's all downhill from there.
0: And we'll see if we end up uh, also spending five grand on knives and have them laying all over the place, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. I I pulled out a knife that I didn't remember buying. It's gotten that bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, for the average person though, yeah, if we know that we're looking for one knife with a you know, get one high quality knife that's under two inches long. That's do your most, most of your stuff. Yeah.
1: If you wanted like a small kit, like my, I, my little kit that I just grab and go with me is uh, made by OCC tools. It has a one inch knife, a one and a half inch knife and a two inch knife. Um, it's in a little rolling tool bag. I take it with me if I'm going somewhere like hiking or just traveling and I want some uh, nicer tool set with me. And that's, That'll cover 99.9% of any whittling project.
0: Okay. So at the the outset of this conversation, we were talking a little bit about the difference between carving and whittling. How much in the realm of other carving do you end up doing?
1: Like, are we talking about different mediums or are we talking uh, different styles here?
0: Uh, uh, Different styles. Let's say we're still sticking with wood.
1: All right. still sticking with wood. Well, the channel will be changing on my end because I like to do, I don't like to be stuck in making one thing. I like to grow. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly pushing myself to try something new. So I'm going to be adding regular relief carving to the channel, larger scale wood carving that use more than just tools, uh, like knives. I use other tools, gouges, um, chisels and whatnot. And then power carving will be on there. And I do plan on putting some stone carving and multimedia projects on there as well. Okay. So I'm just, I just want to carve stuff. I want to have fun with it. I don't know how else to put it.
0: No, I was just curious how much other stuff you did because your channel is I mean, we've talked about stone carving and you mentioned you consider yourself more of a carver, but your channel is almost entirely small wood projects.
1: Oh yeah. I, I started there um because my original idea for the channel was to get people into carving. Um honestly I feel like I've done that. And now I want to keep them interested in carving.
0: Get people involved in or interested in other aspects yep. of carving.
1: There's there's so many facets People will find where they want to go, and that's that's the whole thing. I might not get in the chainsaw carving. I have friends for that. Um, I I may have a chainsaw that can do it, but uh, that's beyond my current desire.
0: Yeah, the relief carving thing sounds interesting to me. And then uh, my dad chip carves. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was younger, I remember him doing some chip carving and like the bunk beds and whatnot. We had as kids, he chip carved designs uh, oh, cool. down the frame of them and stuff. So. That's something that I'm a little more familiar with, but uh, I'm not very familiar with doing uh, more relief carving and things like that. I, I see examples of it, but I've, I've never really tried.
1: Yeah, even then there's multiple disciplines for relief carving, like deep and shallow. Like, I'm just going to do whatever I want on it. It might be a combination thereof, to be honest.
0: Play. You're going to play.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, another thing I noticed uh, on your your channel a lot we were talking we talked about slice resistant gloves but i've also never seen anyone who wraps their other hand Um oh, yeah like
1: my the little thumb guards and whatnot i've put on yeah there. um yeah that's primarily because uh for for two reasons um i put those on there to allow me to push on the back of the blades because when you're pushing on the, the back of a very thin piece of steel it's not sharp but it can still bruise your thumb if you push it too hard hurts after a while So, like, sometimes I'm whittling for a couple hours. It'll wear out your thumb when you're pushing a lot on it. Also, uh, I do a lot of paring cuts. So, it's just uh, the just-in-case kind of thing. So, I don't lose track of my thumb, and I don't accidentally bring the blade back into my thumb when I'm doing one of those. Also, on another ones, like, if I'm using a longer blade, I'll also wrap my pointer finger. And that's primarily because it allows me to choke up on the blade. Like, if I have a 3-inch blade... Um, I'm just gonna grab grab uh, my pointer finger around the, the sharp edge in order to meet to utilize the tip of the blade. So it allows me to choke up on it. Uh, not entirely safe, but uh, I do it anyways. Kind of deal. <laughs> uh,
0: do what I say and not what I do. Type. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm more or less at your own discretion.
0: Yeah, it does make sense because I've noticed that even work on the projects you know I've worked on nothing large, nothing takes very long. But when you're pushing on the black back of your blade a lot, yeah, the your thumb does get sore.
1: Yeah, mostly for me because a lot of the videos, especially at the beginning, I was making them back to back. So it was I had long sessions ahead of me and I was planning ahead. And a lot of the times those videos were made at 2 in the morning. That's when I had a uh, quiet time. So it's uh, and I also, like, because of my job, I, I do a lot of fine detail. Like, um, I work with very small components on circuit boards, so I yeah. still need the mobility of my fingers. So I can't have sore or cut up fingers. Um, it's it's necessary for my my job right now.
0: Yeah, like I said, I I just viewed that as a very good tip that I needed to pick up and start putting it into practice, especially when I was doing things like the spoon carving, because um, I don't do it frequently enough to get my thumb toughened up. So I need to, uh, yeah, take care of it a little bit.
1: I can toughen up my thumb if I really want to, but then I start losing dexterity with other things I need to do. So it's it's a give and take and situation per
0: person. Yeah. And you're just using like an ace bandage around there, right? Yeah,
1: it's a self-adhering ace wrap. I mean, it doesn't need to be fancy. It's just I literally walked down to the grocery store down the road, picked one up yeah. and said, okay, I'm going to use this.
0: Something to cushion the thumb a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh Any suggestions on like basic techniques? You were saying you used a lot of pairing cuts just a second ago. Is that something or are there like a couple of like go-to cuts that you end up using a lot that you'd recommend people learning if they're interested in more of like a 3D whittling like you've demonstrated on your channel?
1: I I made a whole video on it recently. So uh, this is I'll throw a link to it. Yeah, yeah it, it's a very visual thing. Um, but the main ones that we're gonna, that most people are going to be using is like a standard push cut. They're just basically pushing the knife through the wood to remove uh, wood stock, yeah. uh, kind of deal. Um, and then another one is what's called a stop cut, where you basically cut like right down into the wood uh, to make like a slice into. It. Like if you're going to start cutting it along the side with a saw, and then you come through with like the slicing cut and hit that stop cut and you take like a little triangular wedge out in the middle. So it's like, you can actually stop the blade where you want it. If you plan it properly. Yeah. Then there's other versions where it's like two diagonal cuts coming at each other. You create a, a V wedge into it, which add more details in there as well. Then pairing cut, which is most people know. It's like, you just, you're pulling the blade towards you uh, a different way to position your hand to cut the wood. Um, then there's other like fancy things where you can make like little trenches inside of wood. Like, uh, usually people use like a V gouge to create like a little V shaped wedge on the side. You can do the same thing with the, with a regular blade. It's getting more into chip carving and doing that because you're, yeah. um, having opposing cuts against each other to remove a piece of wood. And then uh, other ones, there's other ones out there too, but they're not very well used. Those are the ones that most people are going to be using.
0: So, I'll, I'll definitely throw a link to that specific video at the the bottom of the podcast episode so people can go check it out. All right. But yeah, just as a, like a general overview, it sounds like there were basically four general cuts that you used most frequently.
1: Yeah, I, I use those the vast majority of the time. There's a bunch of other cuts out there. I think I have like eight cuts on that video. Um, yeah. But the first ones are going to be the ones that most people are going to use almost all the time. And yeah. it's going to be what shapes and creates your carving almost all the way through if you get those four or five different uh cuts down you'll be golden
0: uh from a whittling perspective i know i need to start small but i think the thing that i find interesting is i've looked at examples in the past of uh like the hand carved duck decoys oh yeah that people used to make
1: oh they still do oh i I know people that still make them they're very gorgeous
0: oh yeah oh Okay. I was about to say, I, I look at those and I'm like, man, just a thought. Uh, that looks like a lot of work, A, eh? uh, especially when you know you can go out and you can buy a bundle of duck decoys for pretty cheap, especially at yard sales. Uh, you go to a yard sale and a lot of older guys are selling off duck decoys and things like that. But I look at that like, ah, but just the challenge of carving your own duck decoy and then attempting to go hunting over a duck decoy that you carved sounds yep. challenging. Sounds fun. So
1: It's also very satisfying when it works.
0: Sounds like it would be. But yeah, that's, that's a long-term something I'd like to try at some point. Um, that being said, I'm not really a duck hunter at all. I've never really gone duck hunting. So it just sounds like a fascinating uh, challenge. Um, I hear you. Something that needs to be attempted at some point. So, I uh, appreciate you okay. taking time. I don't, I don't really want to take too much of your Sunday morning. Um, I know you have other things to do. So
1: yeah, I, I have some YouTube experiments I wanted to play around with.
0: Yep. Let you get to it. Uh, like I said, I appreciate you coming on and taking a little bit of time out of your morning. Do you want to point people anywhere in specific other than your, well, I guess your YouTube channel and your website, but anywhere else?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. My typical platforms are Carvings Fun on YouTube and the blog uh, carvingsfun.com. I do have a Facebook page. I also have an Instagram, but I, I haven't been using it lately, uh, but you can usually contact me through there. Most people do. So yeah, th- those are the main places I'm on there.
0: Is Instagram the the place that most of your listener or your viewers reach out to you? Then,
1: yeah, I, I get people like uh, contacting me through email, but if they just want like a quick little thing, they'll they'll reach out to me through Instagram, chat with me, uh, send me pictures of what they're working on, yeah. or um, say, "Hey, I have a problem," and I'll, or they want a comparison of the different knives that I probably still have, and I
0: just show them right then and there. Fun an easy way to get a hold of people and i recognize why a lot of people use it um i honestly haven't been on instagram in over a year i realized that i'm not very good at social media and i probably need to be a little better about social media um i mean i'm not great either (laughs) i'll for sure link yours up so people can find you uh and just for for the listeners out there if uh i don't respond to you on instagram it's because i haven't been on there in a long time (laughs) uh but okay thank you thank you brian Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folk Craft Revival Podcast. As always, the show notes and links from this episode can be found over at folkcraftrevival.com forward slash whatever the episode number is. Uh, I should tell you right now in your your podcast player what episode this is. I appreciate you tuning in. If you have any guest or topic suggestions, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email over at daniel at folkcraftrevival.com. If you want to help the podcast grow, the best way to do that is recommend and share it with others that have like interests. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Now let's uh, get out there and make something.